I'm Denise. I'm the Scottish one. And she's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise, the English one. And she's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Editing Podcast. So Denise, tell everyone what we're talking about this week. Hello Louise. So this week we're delighted to welcome a guest editor and writer, Brunella Costayola, who is a specialist in military writing. Yes, welcome Brunella. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do for a living and where you live? Well, first of all, thank you very much, Denise and Louise, for having me on your amazing podcast, which I listen to religiously from the United uh-huh. States of America. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're <laughs> very welcome here. <laughs> well, I was born and raised in Naples, southern Italy. And um, after living in several countries, including England, actually, I lived in uh, nearby Cambridge. Oh. Um, I then moved to the United States of America following my American husband, who's in the military. He's in the Air Force. Mm. And we are currently stationed in the state of New York. And um, I I guess after graduating, um, after graduating with my bachelor's degree uh, in uh, English language and Japanese language and culture, I then moved to the Netherlands and I studied at Leiden University there. Um, and I actually graduated there with two master's degrees, one in American history and the other one in English language. Um, and after graduating with two master's degrees from Leiden, um, which, by the way, gave me the incredible honor of calling Nelson Mandela, Albert Einstein and many other uh, greats of history, my fellow alumni. Wow. wow. <laughs> One thing is just crossing my mind here. You're very well traveled and you're very well educated. <laughs> <laughs> I then moved to Cambridge to be with my then fiance, now husband, mm-hmm. uh, who was stationed in England. So I decided, well, I love English language and I want to teach it as a second language. So I got a certificate in English language teaching to adults from Cambridge University. Um, And I began teaching in Cambridge. I was very happy with where my career was going. And on the same day that the director at the school I was teaching at told me and offered me an amazing contract um, I went back home with my great news. I told my military fiance and he said, well, I have news too. The military <laughs> is sending us to the Netherlands. Oh, so, military <laughs> life happened and I declined the amazing offer. I moved to the Netherlands with my, at that point, my husband. And, uh, long story short, that's how I got into writing and editing. Um, uh-huh. I was out of a job. And I, my husband one day suggested, hey, you love writing. Why don't you start writing as a hobby? So I said, oh, that's a good idea. And I began writing and publishing several articles on topics that really uh, I felt passionate about online. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one day the right person just happened to read my articles, contacted me and offered me my very first, uh, what I consider to be serious ghostwriting project. I wrote a memoir for a lady who lived in Los Angeles. I, um, she flew me there. I lived with her for a period of time. And um, that was my very first ghostwriting job. Eventually, wow. through word of mouth, I um, received more and more job offers. And here we are almost eight years later, 
I am an award-winning author, best-selling editor, and I work for some of the most important, prestigious, and successful publishing companies here in the United States of America, including HarperCollins, um, Brown Books Publishing Group, and publishing firms such as Kevin Anderson and Associates. Um, but because of my passion for the publishing industry, which just happened to I guess everything fell into place thanks to the military life, even though if you mm -hmm. had asked at that time, um, are you happy that you had to stop your teaching career because of the military? I would have said no. Looking mm -hmm. back now, that's 2020. And I can tell that that was what had to happen in order for me to pursue my true passion, which is writing and editing. Um, so given my passion for the publishing industry and given that I live and breathe military life, I decided to combine my two worlds and I launched the very first and only writing and editing services agency catering exclusively to military authors and military related manuscripts. And my company is called the Military Editor Agency, which is an LLC now. That's um, lovely the way you took <laughs> um your your life experience and your career experience and developed you know not not I mean you were sort of nudged into doing it you kind of had to you had you you were forced to make changes that weren't um initially your your choice and um and you you turned them into major positives thank you so much I guess with when it comes to military life this is what we have to do especially as spouses we have to adapt hmm. and we have to um, make with what we have, make do with what we have. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I, I just saw there's such untapped potential in the military community. And I also saw that the publishing industry wasn't necessarily aware of it. So I wanted to bridge that gap between the yeah. military community and all this untapped potential and bring it to the forefront of the publishing industry with all the contacts that I have uh in that world and yeah, it's a great specialism uh, yeah it's such a such a perfect niche that you seem to have um found yourself well not created for yourself really with your experience um Brunella can I start off by asking you then what in your opinion makes a really good military book I think it definitely depends on the genre but as far as I can tell when it comes to nonfiction. So let's talk about memoirs, for example. What makes mm -hmm. a really good military book is the author must be sincere, honest. The mm -hmm. author must put themselves in a vulnerable place. Um, and do you and think that's? It, oh, sorry to interrupt. I'm just curious when you say about putting themselves in a vulnerable place. Do you think that comes um, that that doesn't come easily to people with a military background? That is very difficult for yeah. many authors. That is what mm -hmm. I experienced the most is, unfortunately, they have to put themselves mentally and emotionally in a place that would require them to relive some of the most, potentially the most dramatic moments and tragic mm -hmm. moments of their lives mm -hmm. in war mm -hmm. or perhaps their best friend being killed on the front line it's very challenging but unless my authors want readers to feel the worst story 
in uh-huh. their gut. They <clears throat> have to be with it and they yeah. have to yeah. be okay with becoming vulnerable. But I always tell them that there is something I witness with every one of my author. At the end of the writing process, they take the deepest breath and they it's almost as if they have simply put all of that weight that they have been carrying around for years onto paper, yeah. translated work, put it onto paper. And now it's, it's almost as if they had the, that pain has left their mind and it's their a thera- heart. It's a therapeutic yes. process. Wow. Very, very therapeutic. Yes. And it's beautiful to witness as an editor um, or a writing uh, coach. It, it's beautiful to witness that it really is. And um, I think something else that makes a really good military book is you need to, from a, more, from a more technical point of view, from a more editorial point of view, um, you want your story to be read by a wide audience, obviously. So how do we do that? There is military lingo, which is obviously used by m- most, if not all, military members. And however, this military lingo is not necessarily accessible Mm. um by the common public so what we need to do what i always recommend my authors do is explain acronyms the first time they come around explain the acronyms write out the words and then put the acronym in parenthesis Mm. and afterwards just keep on using the acronym but at the end of the book offer glossary it's something as easy as that Mm. but that also makes makes a book yeah it just makes it that bit more accessible to people doesn't it because yeah. you're right about the language. I mean, sometimes I even read mass market paperback thrillers and, and they've got language in there. And, and if it's it, it, the, the best authors, the most accomplished authors are those who or either they or their editors have taken care to make sure to remember who their audience is, because um, it, it, otherwise it, it just becomes too niche. And 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 it's right. such an easy it's such a. Uh, an obvious fix to an edit, a specialist editor like you, but might not be to the author who's just, that's just normal standard language for them. Exactly. Yes. And also something else that I've noticed is lately I've been receiving many, um, I've been helping many authors who want to talk about their experience in the Vietnam War, because with the Vietnam War, when they came back here in the United States, um, many military members and veterans were not received positively yes. yeah. or yeah. were received as positively as veterans of uh, Afghanistan, the war in Afghanistan and Iraq are, are being yeah. received. Mm-hmm. Um, so now they, they, there is something in the community, in the American community and society has shifted towards the Vietnam veterans and they have become not only more acceptable, but so much more supportive. So Vietnam War veterans now are feeling free to share their stories. But the issue we run into with those stories now is that certain words that were part of the common vocabulary uh, back when the Vietnam War was happening are no longer accepted. Yes. All oh, right. Words. Of course. Yeah. So uh, many of my authors usually ask me, well, can I say that word that we used to use because that's what will make my story authentic mm-hmm. if I cover it up with a word that is um, instead used now 
it wouldn't be authentic. I would feel like I was censoring too much. Mm -hmm. So what I usually tell them to do, and it also a lot depends on the publishing company they go with. But what we usually do is we simply put a disclaimer at the very beginning of the book saying some of the language used in this book is not meant to be offensive or derogatory as it's um, understood today, but it's simply meant to be an authentic representation of the language used back yeah. during the Vietnam War. Yeah. Um, I think that's really that. important. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Because it is important to represent those voices um, as they were, but you also want to, that, that's, that's good when the author's acknowledging that times have changed, that language has changed, that, that, um, uh, standards of, of, of offense uh, are, are, have, have altered and so that's that's a good solution I think it's 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 an honest approach to it um, and then yes. at least the readers warned uh, as well so yeah, yeah. Mm. so um, I've got a couple of questions for you um, uh, I probably should have asked you them separately but I'll ask you them together so <laughs> the first thing is why you think that military stories are so important and then um, I want you I wonder if you can tell us a little bit um, more specifically about a really important book you wrote for children. Yes. So in my opinion, military stories are so important because they're the easiest ones to get lost to history amnesia, to what I call history amnesia. Mm -hmm. um, history books are written usually by people who never experienced those historical events firsthand. Yeah. But mm -hmm. our military members have made history happen during the Vietnam War. They knew exactly what happened because they were there. They were physically present and they made history happen. But the, mil but the history books that their children or grandchildren studied were not necessarily written by people who had gone to Vietnam and fought for the country. So uh -huh. I believe in the importance of military books because I never want their stories to be lost to history amnesia. And, you know, in the United States of America, the military members represent the 1% of the American population. So because of that, every story of each and every military member and their family members, in my opinion, count more than anything else because uh -huh. they're so incredibly unique the challenges that we face as military families are unique to our own uh our own world our yeah. own environment yeah. and because of that we are the only ones who can report on them yeah. from again this goes back to what's important in a military story what's important is being honest and we are the only ones who can tell you exactly what what's happening or, or what happened. And you know what else? There's something else there because um, a lot of history books written by academics can be politicized and, and um, which, which can mask the truth. And I was reminded of this when my husband's British, but he was born in Belgium and he lived in Belgium until he was 15. And he told me that he was really shocked when he arrived in England as a 15 year old 
and went to school and was studying history and realised that the accounts of, of, of some of the history, the sort of more recent history, like World War II history, were slightly different, had a slightly different bent to them because they were written by British academics rather than French academics. And, and, and so that's why it's so important, as you said, to get these individual stories, like the people who were there, not, not the politics, not the academics, the people who were there experiencing this stuff, because that's when you, that's where, that's where the truth lies. Yes. And as far as my, my book for military children, um, in 2017, I was contacted by the then chairman of the National Academy of Neuropsychology Foundation, Dr. Jared Fisher, who wanted to hire me as a ghostwriter because he had this idea of writing a, children, a, a children's book catering exclusively to military children, explaining what traumatic brain injury is, how mm. it affects the military parent who suffers from it, and what actually happens to the brain um, of the affected military member so that children could then understand the consequences of traumatic brain injury, which um, are mainly personality changes. So, for example, a once very patient, happy-go-lucky um, parent and pres mentally, emotionally present parent suddenly comes back from deployment, um, you know, the uh, um, scars are, uh, are gone, but mm -hmm. the, yeah. unfortunately, the, um, the mental and the, sorry, the personality has changed. Mm -hmm. And children, what they do, the first thing that they do is they feel guilty. And they think yeah. this was my fault. Uh, daddy or mommy is no longer patient or lost their patience with me and yelled at me because perhaps I should have eaten more vegetables during dinner, or perhaps I should have done better during my homework, or maybe I should have cleaned my room better. So Dr. Jared Fisher wanted to write a children's book catering to military children, explaining to them, it's not your fault. This is the science, exactly what happens to the brain, to the front lobe of the brain, when the military member suffers a traumatic brain injury. And as soon as I heard this proposal, I immediately told Dr. Jerry Fisher that I did not want to be a ghostwriter. I wanted to be an author. Okay. And yeah. he, he accepted, he accepted <laughs> a partnership. Um, and I found a an amazing illustrator. His name is Valerio Mazzoli. He's also from Italy, who just happens to live in Florida as well. And he's been a Disney cartoonist since the 1970s. Together, Dr. Jerry Fisher, uh, myself, and Valerio Mazzoli, we created a team and we worked on the story where um, Valerio Mazzoli had the idea, our illustrator had the idea of actually creating a character for the brain, Mr. Brain, a very, um, uh, a, a little, sort of like a, a little cartoonish representation of a brain mm -hmm. that gets in a lot of trouble and creates a lot of problems, but it was in a funny way that children could um, understand and, and where my um, expertise as a writer came in was finding we only had about a thousand words to work with and obviously when writing a children's book every word must count yep yep mm. so 
the challenge I faced was using each and every one of those thousand words um, in a way that would help children understand and comprehend what happens to mommy or daddy's brain when they suffer from a traumatic brain injury. And together, me and the other two people on our team decided that the book was going to be distributed for free to wounded warrior families here in the United States of America. But then so many organizations, military-related organizations, came on board and helped us distribute hundreds of copies across the world to all military bases. Oh, Brunella, that's amazing. Thank you so much. We were very happy with the results. Tell people what it's called. It's called my dad got hurt what can i do and um they can find find it on amazon and 100 percent of the proceeds go immediately toward printing another copy of the book that we can then distribute to a family in need we'll push we'll put a link to that book in the show notes definitely what a really worthwhile project to have worked on brunella that's fantastic yeah Yeah. um brunella can i ask you now um if you if we put our editing hats on for a minute, um, which style guides are there any particular style guides that you would recommend for when you're editing military books? Right. So here in the United States, um, mostly when it comes to manuscript writing, we use the Chicago Manual style, which is currently mm-hmm. in its eighteenth edition, and. I was able to attend Graham School at the University of Chicago last year, where I studied the ins and outs of the Chicago manual style from the same institution that created it. My professors were actually uh, the people who wrote the 17th edition. So I was very lucky to be able to ask direct questions to the people who wrote the over a thousand pages of manual and i just just to say that people over here love that too Um, i i i I love i I mean i just ignore the stuff that's that's if it's if it's u.s style and i need to tweak it a bit but but it's it's very popular on this side of the pond it's incredibly comprehensive that's why it's so useful to to us yeah yeah yeah. fantastic any specific um other specific uh, style guys that you use for military work Yes. So in the Chicago manual style, there are specific um, sections dedicated to editing military books. Mm -hmm. And I obviously during the course of our um, classes and entire uh, certificate courses, we couldn't study every single session uh, section at the uh, at the Graham School. Um, but what I did, I went back to the manual and I studied the specific sections covering military lingo. Um, also, for example, uh, what to use italics for in, say, uh, the name of a ship. Should mm. it be on SS or should it be only on the name of the ship that comes after USS? What to capitalize, where to put a dot, so on and so forth. Yeah, these little details are important, aren't they? Yeah. Oh yes. So, um, can you talk now a little bit about um what issues that authors of military books tend to come unstuck with over and over, like the most common things? Right. Um. Well, when it comes to every genre, honestly, of military books, but especially, especially nonfiction books, and in that especially memoirs, unfortunately, the main issue that many authors face um, 
aside from what we've already mentioned, the emotional toll that yeah. it takes on so many authors mm. when it comes to mm. having to relive those tragic moments, um, once they go through that and they in their and they finally have a solid and and professionally edited manuscript that they can then present to literary agents, the main issue they find is a no thank you reply from the agent to their query letter. And that is because the traditional publishing industry currently is saturated with, or so they say, with stories of veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan. So here are my authors who have gone through so much emotionally, um, mentally, and also financially, because when they hire me as their editor or as their ghostwriter, it is an investment that they're making. It Mm. is not something that they can take lightly. Um, And finally, they are almost at the finish, finish line and they find this wall by the public traditional publishing industry that unfortunately the market is saturated and they can no longer accept memoirs to publish memoirs. So they come back and they ask me, what can we do at this point? Fortunately for us, they, uh, we have so many other publishing routes that we can follow that do not yeah. necessarily rely mean self-publishing because that's, that's a whole world Uh, on its own and so many difficulties when it comes to self-publishing. Fortunately for us, uh, other publishing routes seem to be a bit more receptive when it comes to military stories. For example, uh, Brown Books Publishing Group has recently opened opened an entire military division to their imprint. And it's fantastic because um, they contacted me and talked to me about the importance of military books and what I thought come to find out that the owner and founder, as well as the president are both, uh, both come from military families. So they Mm -hmm. felt deep in their heart that it was the right thing to do to create an entire military division. Uh, So now here we have the number one independent publisher in the country, opening an entire military division to their publishing firm. Or we have small presses that are exclusively publishing military books, regardless of genre. Um, Or also for those who cannot, again, make an investment into their own book, there is always the um, publishing, self-publishing route, which Amazon has made a bit easier to navigate. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. Brunella, um, for authors who don't have a military background but are, you know, are keen to write, um, you know, perhaps fiction with um, in a military setting, do you recommend any particular resources that these authors could use to perhaps to do their own research or to fact check? Are there? Do you have any go-to resources that you could you could recommend to our listeners? I think the most important resource that any um, non-military authors can rely on is veterans. Right. There are so many veterans who would be more than happy to help if they need 
um, a detail of an airplane, say a B-29, for example, during World War II. I know that currently veterans of World War II are close to turning 100 years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, for example, one of my latest authors just turned 100 years old, and he is a World War II veteran. He fought in Japan. He was a prisoner of war in Japan. Um, And he recently decided, I want to tell my story. Um, and I helped him through the process. So, and he is, he seems to have way more energy than I do. It's probably due <laughs> to the fact that he my two children around yeah. all day. But he, um, just like him, so many other veterans are more than happy to cooperate. And I think that just like we were saying at the beginning, history books sometimes are not necessarily written by people who lived um, yeah. through the experience or they might be misleading due to their political views. Um, and and what better resource to have than going directly to the source of a military veteran who has gone through it and who can tell you exactly the, the smallest detail on a uniform. Mm, that's mm. great advice. Thank you for that. Brunella, I have one last question for you. Um, is there anything that you do differently when you're editing, say, fiction as opposed to nonfiction? I know that some editors find it quite difficult to shift from one to the other. I do, um, uh, which is why I've kind of specialised. <laughs> um, whereas some, some, some people find it easy to swap hats. What, what's your experience? I love swapping hats. The Do best you. thing about it, I feel that ev- with every manuscript, it feels like it's it's always a new date. It's almost like going on a new date. There's the thrill, the adrenaline of meeting new characters, whether in a nonfiction or a fiction setting. And it's exhilarating to me. I love being able to work across all genres. Uh, For example, I can work on a children's book, but I can also work on a memoir, self-help, and so forth. Complete fiction, science fiction, or fantasy. And the main difference that obviously as an expert in the Chicago manual style, um, as an editor who's an expert in the Chicago manual style, what I do is there are certain liberties that I allow fiction authors to take as opposed to nonfiction authors. For example, when it comes to the, even the smallest detail of say, capitalizing the word general before, um, or ab- sorry, before the last name, um, in nonfiction, that's a rule. The word general must be capitalized before the last name. However, it needs to not be capitalized if the last name is not present. Yeah. So if it mm-hmm. stands on its own, if it stands on its own, it cannot be capitalized. Yeah. But when it comes to my fiction authors, um, I allow them a little bit more freedom with those tiny details because it is fiction and because it depends a lot on how much power the character gives that word. It's a little bit less technical, a little mm. bit more freedom. Yep. That that flexibility is, um, I, I think, a, a really good thing that all fiction editors have to be aware of. But um, it's, it's interesting that you also um, talked not just in terms of flexibility, but also in terms of 
the power that that you give a word by how you treat it and that's that's perhaps something that less experienced fiction editors might not have thought of for for the military genre books so thanks for raising that it's great of course yeah Brunella thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today it's actually it's been fascinating really has Uh, yeah and I I know it's it will have given our listeners plenty of food for thought um, and you've given us some fantastic ideas and resources that we'll make sure we link to in the show notes along with all the information about you so now it's time for editing bites which is the regular bit of the show where we each recommend a favorite resource that we think you'll find useful so for all you military enthusiasts out there who maybe don't have a military background my bite this week is Louise's free ebook, which is called The Art of Firearms in Fiction. This is 45 pages on writing about firearms and it features a soldier turned editor, Steve Allen. Yeah. So that's my little tip. I should yeah. just say I, I didn't have any hand in writing this. <laughs> um, he, he, he offered um, after he'd seen something else I'd written. Mm-hmm. And again, it's really relevant, actually, because it's precisely because he's 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 got that experience he's been it lived it he knows he knows wh- which guns um can take suppressors and mm-hmm. and what sound they make or don't make and 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 so he was the perfect person to to um to do this i couldn't have written yeah. this no um, so um my editing bite is val mcdermott's forensics the anatomy of crime published by the welcome collection in 2015 so it looks at the history of forensics from its beginnings to today's cutting edge science and the cover's a bit gross but um (laughs) especially if you're not a fan of flies but mcdermott's such a compelling speaker um and writer she is yeah Um, you and i've both seen her speak haven't we yeah yeah uh and um so if you're including forensics in your novel, then it's a great resource. That's a really good one. Yeah, yeah. I could listen to Val McDermott all day. Yeah. yeah. So that's it for this week. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Thank you once again to Brunella for joining us. And thank you so much for listening to the editing podcast. You can rate, review and subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whichever platform you prefer. Yeah, and I want to extend my final thanks to Brunella too. Thank you for coming on and talking to us. Thank you both for having me. Thank you so much. And um, we'll put all the links um, we've mentioned in the show notes. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.